This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Okay, so going back to what you said a few moments ago that you think it's warranted all this hype. A lot of real estate investors listen to this podcast and they uh, are seeing people get rich quickly overnight in, in their terms, right? Real estate investors build their um, fortunes over decades and decades. And there's crypto millionaires, even billionaires popping up, people buying these different altcoins that are popping like crazy. Um, yep. Many real estate investors I know have a lot of LPs now who are diversifying away from crypto into real estate. Or rather, you know, um, having a bargain strategy of investment, as I call it. So to the real estate person, and that's, you know, partly our audience here, they're trying to get their heads around what's going on. And many people feel like, you know what, the idea of virtual land seems like something I can understand because I'm a real estate expert. I can come in and, and, and you know, buy something. And a lot of that is driven by FOMO. Um, do you think the analogy holds that you can take the real estate perspective and bring that to the metaverse? In some ways, yes. Like I think a really good analogy, right? There's there's only so much square footage in New York City for people to build around, right? I mean, like I, I live in I live in I live in Manhattan. It's crowded. There are lots of people in the metaverse, especially with the crypto metaverses, right? Like within within the sandbox, there is a finite number of plots of land that is driving demand, right? So it's it's a very similar sort of analogy. Like there's only so much space that you could actually go and buy and develop in the metaverse, in certain metaverses, right? Like Decentraland, for example, I, I called it the Beverly Hills of the metaverse in my article because their plots of land are a little bit more expensive and pricey generally than the sandbox. But the sandbox has already sold two thirds of, of their available land in, in the metaverse. So there's gonna be opportunities to, I think, rent land in the metaverse for events, right? Like there's, there's gonna be very similar applications to like owning and renting real estate in the real world as there is in the metaverse. But at the end of the day, there's a finite, there's a limited supply. And so companies like Republic Realm, for example, like they are going and buying up land like crazy because they are going to own that land, develop that land, and it's gonna be like a really interesting investment strategy for them. Uh, and so, you know, and you know, we, we talk to, I, I talk to companies all the time and in, you know, on the Lear Hippo side, um, you know, if you were in gaming, for example, or you have a really successful NFT project, you want that project to live outside of Discord. Oftentimes that will happen in a metaverse. You need to have land to be able to do that. Uh, there's so many different ways to sort of tackle that, but I think the parallel of like real in-person sort of like buying real estate in New York City and the metaverse, there are absolutely parallels. When, when, when we buy real estate, let's just assume residential real estate or multifamily buildings, okay? People live in those buildings that provide shelter. And so it's predictable and dependable that you build this home, there's a market price for it, someone needs to be here. However, help help our viewers understand if you buy a plot of land in the central land or CryptoVox or Somnium, sandboxes, many, there's lots and lots of platforms and there's a few that are very well known and there's a lot of value, right? Where is the value? People aren't living yet inside of these virtual land. Not yet. But again, this goes back to the cultural aspect, right? Like someone paid $450,000 
to buy a plot of land next to Snoop Dogg in the Snoopverse. Like you are, I, Megan, 24 year old Megan cannot be neighbors with Snoop Dogg in Beverly Hills or whatever he lives because I don't have that kind of money. I don't know if I'll ever have that kind of money, but like that's the case for a lot of people. But in the case of the metaverse, right? It opens up this opportunity of being able to interact with people in a whole new way. And also just with money in a whole new way. Like you have exclusive and limited access to Snoop Dogg through your ticket, essentially, like your your land, your plot of land, your your ticket into the Snoopverse because of the metaverse. And some of that will transport between virtual and in and, and real life, right? Like the hope is I think if you're really engaged with Snoopverse in the metaverse, there will also be in-person opportunities and exclusive events. Like look at VCon and what Gary Vee has done with VFriends, VCon, bringing this like digital community in person. You have to think of it as like a ticket in some ways or way, way shape, or form, right? And um, similar to why all the brands are gravitating towards Roblox, they're 200 million, they have 200 million monthly active users. They're 200 million people, they're target users that are spending time in one place at any given time. If you're Sotheby's and you're thinking, okay, like there are millions, hundreds of millions of people every day buying digital art doing this, you need to be where those users are. And so like from a residential perspective, right? Like maybe it's not quite as strong yet, but I think the Snoop, the Snoop case, the Snoop first case is an interesting one, but there's no doubt that people are spending more and more time in these ecosystems. And so having a presence as a consumer, as a business is is still important. It, it feels that you're not just buying that virtual plot of land to flip. And if you are, I think uh, my personal opinion is speculators are going to be the death of the metaverse. If they come in, they buy all this land and they hold on to the land and there's no utility. If anything, if there's nothing in that neighborhood, like urban design, urban planning. If there's nothing in that neighborhood, people aren't going to come and ultimately plots will drop. The ecosystem requires developers to own it and to create more value and utility for the collective good rather than coming from a centralized place. Totally. I completely agree with that. Um, and that, I think that also comes with the success of projects, NFT projects. Again, these are real parallels. There's no value if there's no community. You have to have some type of strategy around how you keep people engaged and involved. And for some people, you buy an NFT because you think it's going to be an investment, same way you think maybe you buy a plot of land, you think it's going to be an investment, but you stay and there's value accrual accrued because of community and because of the access that it provides. It's like buying a Ferrari or buying a Hermes bag or buying any type of uh, physical item that gets you access to special parties and a special club. Um, and NFTs, and maybe you can also define NFTs for some of our, our viewers who are just tuning in, but yep. the utility is more than just digital art. Yep, totally. And I think like on the on the NFT side, right, it's like Bitcoins are fungible. Like one, bit, one Bitcoin that I trade with your Bitcoin, they're one and the same. But if I create a one of one NFT um, of like this toilet paper roll, and I, I mint it as an NFT and I put it on, or sorry, paper towel roll. Uh, if I mint that as an NFT and sell it, like you can't take a similar paper towel roll, put it on the blockchain and be like, oh, let's trade, they're worth the same. Like they are inherently non-fungible. Um, uh, and so that's like, I think the, the easiest way to kind of describe it. Um, but uh, it is really complex, right? And I think this is why when you think of broad mass adoption of NFTs and a lot of this, so much of it is gated in a lot of this terminology that the average person doesn't care about. Like my my family, when I was writing this article, again, I was locked in my room by myself. Like I, I, I no one locked me in my room, I did it myself. I was locked, I locked myself in my room for like five days. It was like two days of like hardcore research. 
and then three days of just like writing, writing, writing. The article is 26 pages long. I could have kept going. It could have been like a hundred page, a hundred pages, honestly, if I wanted to keep doing it. But um, I, tried to, I tried to keep it simple and also in depth uh, as best as possible. But my family banned the use of the word NFT during the holiday because I was just talking about it so much, like talking about the metaverse. They call it the megaverse now on Twitter because my name is Megan. Uh, so like, you know, but like the average person on Twitter is different from the average person that I'm gonna meet in a coffee shop here in New York or back home on Long Island. Uh, like everyone's sort of inclination towards NFTs is very different. And again, you get that light bulb go off when you start bringing in examples about culture and brands that people understand. Uh, like Adidas, right? They're into the metaverse NFT drop. Like getting exclusive access to Adidas merch, both in person and online, People understand that. People are like, oh, they did 24 million in sales in an afternoon. These are tickets. People are buying tickets to get access to things. It's not like you're just buying in like a picture. Or, like a lot of people are like, well, these are just JPEGs. Like, why are people spending so much money on JPEGs? It's like, it's not just a JPEG. It is access to a community. It is access to its belonging. Everyone looks for that. So there's just, there's so much complexity in a lot of this stuff. And we still have a long way to go in getting the masses, right? There's only, I think there's like something what, 3 million people have bought NFTs so far. Like it's still a very, very small sample set. And it's not just uh, a JPEG, it's the JPEG because the underlying technology is powered by the blockchain. And therefore that removes any question in the real world. Is that a real Gucci bag or is that a counterfeit Gucci bag? There's no question about that because of the underlying technology in the blockchain. Now, what makes the industry very exciting is also what makes it very scary. It's emerging. There is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of insecurity, and I mean that literally, because just recently today, uh, I don't I'm not know if you heard about the Board Ape uh, Club, but there was a, a hack on OpenSea where um, some hackers took advantage of some of the underlying you know, internal technology, but they were able to essentially buy a Board Ape for effective price of $1,750 and instantly flip it for $190,000. There is a lot of concern that if you enter now, and even a platform like OpenSea that has raised, a, you know, has a tremendous valuation, um, your money's not secure. They even talk about Coinbase, which is a platform to facilitate exchange. They say, you know, not, not your key, not your coins, right? So what's your thoughts on the uh, security aspect of what's going on here? And, and doesn't that make it kind of dangerous for someone to come in and start buying these objects, NFTs and virtual lands, just because there's a risk they may lose it in the, in the event something gets hacked and it happens every day. It does, it is, it is a real problem and a real concern, but I think also again, a real opportunity. I think that we're definitely gonna see more companies tackling this in different ways, partnering with MetaMask and Rainbow Wallet. Like these, there are going to be these sort of key, marquee consumer access points into Web3 and the metaverse. And the wallet is I think the key in a lot of ways figuring out ways to secure that through partnerships, through new technology, I think is gonna be absolutely key. Cause like, I actually didn't see that news this morning, but that's insane. Uh, that, that's like, that is like genuinely, that's genuinely crazy. It's wrong. There's always gonna be bad actors. I think when there's massive opportunity and success, right? That is just human nature, unfortunately. And so, um, but you know, for, for, for the little bit of bad, there's also just a lot of good that happens alongside that. And so um, I think I think we'll see I think we'll see a lot more a lot more focus on security, secure just um, you know, secure access and, and everything like that. And what, what makes this uh, ecosystem um, 
so prone to error and even human error is that it is ultimately, you know, binary. <laughs> There's ones and zeros. And in one case, someone accidentally listed a plot of land or even an NFT and accidentally forgot, you know, actually put 0.01 rather than one. And that, that's a 100x difference in price. And that happens all the time. If you look at valuing real estate, you'll, you'll have like, <laughs> There's a methodology to value real estate. And even if you want to misprice it, it's difficult to misprice it because the market's there, but also you can hire an appraiser. You can look at market comps. You can look at the rent roll and you can apply uh, you know, a multiple to the NOI, which is an operating income. How does one value these plots of land and NFTs? Um, could you give us some thoughts, particularly around the metaverse side? So platforms like Decentraland and Sandbox, some of our listeners want to go in and buy a virtual plot of land. How do they even think about valuation for land? I think a lot of it's being decided by the market, unfortunately. It, it's a great question. It's something that I need to be spending more time around, but like there's definitive just like prices that are being thrown out. They're similar to when an NFT or when a collection launches or, or a new project. like. The market decides what the price is. It's not like someone's just like, or you can put a floor on it in many ways, but oftentimes the best projects start really small. And then as the demand heats up, like it's all about the distribution and how you're how you're putting that word out there. So I think for Sandbox in particular, they've done such a wonderful job attracting talent, right? Attracting really interesting projects, companies into their metaverse. So naturally, they're seeing a lot of demand. And uh, like, I think it was when I wrote the article, there were 300 million in NFT sales that week. And again, every plot of land being sold in the metaverse in, in, in the sandbox in particular is an NFT. A quarter of those 300 million in sales were from the sandbox alone. There are people driving a ton of uh, volume towards that because other people are there. Um, Decentraland, again, maybe it's because there's less plots of land. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but because there might be limited, more limited supply, their prices are a bit higher. Um, so I think honestly, the same way that you would do an analysis of like a neighborhood or, um, or like, like the, the same, I think you, you, you look at real estate in the metaverse in a very similar way. Like there, there are definitely tools and an analysis that you can look to, um, to make, to make those types of decisions.